0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Royal Podcast of Oz. This is Jared Davis with Sam Malazzo. What are we talking about today, Sam? We're going to talk about Shirley Temple and the Land of Oz. Uh, the Shirley Temple show had actually just relaunched in color for 1961, and its very first episode was a, it was a very loose adaptation of the second Oz book, The Marvelous Land of Oz, going by its then-common title, The Land of Oz. Shirley Temple and Oz, we were best, most people will say that she was the first choice to play Dorothy in the MGM movie The Wizard of Oz, but the actual fact is that uh, they really always had uh, Judy Garland in mind, though they did briefly take a look into possibly getting Shirley. And then later, uh, Shirley Temple signed on MGM and it was briefly considered to have a sequel to The MGM Wizard of Oz with her in it, but that didn't happen. Would have been interesting to see, though, but we sort of do get that in
1: a sense here. Yes, this is very much what we get here. So in this adaptation, Shirley Temple introduces her show with the special guests that she'll be acting alongside of, and she mentions how the magic word is Oz, and a plays about with talking flowers and flying furniture. Yes.
0: I gotta admit, Shirley Temple is a very charming host here. Now, of course, this is her 1961, so she's all grown up by this time. And, you know, she was very dedicated to producing quality children's programming for her TV, so she was so dedicated to it that uh, during one rehearsal, when there were actually no children around, someone actually said a curse word on set, and and she promptly had them fired. Wow.
1: Uh, She's definitely very sweet in the introductions and at the outro at the end, so that shouldn't be too surprising, actually, but she's very sweet and very motherly, you know, like a sort of kindergarten teacher or something.
0: Well, she was mother by this time, so... The guest star, she talked about were the popular comedian Jonathan Winters, Arthur Treacher, who'd been an actor for a very long time, and Agnes Moorhead, who would later go on to play indoor in the TV show Bewitched. In fact, it is said to be this role as Mombi that actually got her the role.
1: I never saw much of Bewitched, but I can remember a few bits, and she does a very different impression of a witch here than she does in Bewitched. With Mombi, she has like a Cockney accent, but in which she has a more normal, ladylike voice. And Agnes really has a lot of fun with Mombi. Probably not the most believable performance, but it is a fun performance and a good act as well.
0: Oh yeah, she has so much fun with this role. I guess we better start talking about the plot though, because it's a different plot from the book. You can definitely recognize but it's yeah, can, yeah, it's not like it's bad because it altered from the book. You can still very much recognize that it's, uh, adaptation of the book, but it is different.
1: We apologize for any MGM comparisons, but just like the MGM musical, we have two characters from the book combined into one. Here it's General Ginger and the magician Nicodek into Lord Nicodek, who is also a general, and he rules the Gilligan country. One of the great things about doing these podcasts is that we can review it as if we're on Amazon. And I've always thought that General Nakedeg is very much a bomb villain. Like, he's a grown-up, he's a man, he rules the country, but he's spoiled, he's selfish, he whines a lot, he's a spoiled brat. And it's fun to watch him. Even his assistant, Graves Butler, is very Bomb like, like the Gnome King's Chamberlain from Ozma of Oz the Book.
0: Yeah, it's almost like they also combine in the characters of the Gnome King and Calico into these characters. Although, uh, Graves is not as nice as Calico.
1: No, but they're all fun to watch, and. <laughs> yeah, they are. General Nikodik, he's feeling in a good mood, which he doesn't like, and he wants to make people miserable, and Monbi agrees to help him with that. Because he can't really do anything because Ozma is queen of Oz at the moment.
0: He decides he wants to take over Oz and run things to suit himself. And then he realizes that Ozma won't let him do it. Because in this version of Oz, Ozma is already queen. Nicky Dick decides he needs to get Ozma out of the way, so he calls Mombi. He tells her to turn Ozma into a statue. But as we see, Mombi has a different plan in mind.
1: Yeah, Ozma, she's not a little girl, she's grown up, but she's a good enough ball. For those of you who love John Neal's drawings of Ozma the Dark Here, you'll see it here as a brunette. I really like the way that Mombi lowers Ozma away. It's not state-of-the-art, but it's just a simple yet effective trick photography of sorts. We see Ozma in bed, and we see Mombi's shadow hand pup tree laid over a light, which then goes over Ozma, and Ozma just sort of sleepwalks out of her bed. And I never noticed them till now, but I did not mind not having Ozma's Oz symbol on her forehead. Instead, here, she has a simple, glittery, emerald crown on her head. And she also has, like, this very extravagant nightgown, too, which I didn't think of it at the time, but maybe it's a bit much now, but we always associate Ozma with an Oz symbol on her forehead, and she doesn't have that here, and I didn't miss it.
0: Yeah, the way they made Ozma look, and the way Shirley Temple performed it, you're just so taken up in the character that you don't really think, oh, she doesn't have the Oz symbol on her, and you know, this was a low-budget television show, and they actually did pretty good for the budget they did have, so some slack. <laughs> After all, Mombi looks very much like Mombi from the books. I
1: think the only thing I don't quite like about Mombi are the bright green shoes. Mombi wears quite a bit of green here, rather than purple from the book.
0: They didn't really uh, bother with establishing the colors of ours, so. Well, they did, because
1: Nicky and Graves, and most of the backdrop for the Gilligan Country, they're in purple.
0: Yeah, you know, they didn't establish it through, like, uh, dialogue or anything. When Mombi
1: lured Osmo Wade, it couldn't help but make me think of a bit of Sleeping Beauty.
0: Yeah, I can see what you mean there, because it is very much like that scene where Maleficent uh, puts Aurora in a trance and leads her to the spinning wheel.
1: Now, Mombi has lured Osmo Wade to her place, and... She reveals her plot to Ozma, who is confident that she will restore or find a way to be back to a normal self, which shows a bit of character, don't you think? She's confident, she's not a dainty princess who cries or waits to be rescued. She's confident that things will turn out in the end.
0: Yeah, she is very confident here. And she stands up to Mommy and's like, no matter what happens, this evil plot heart will be destroyed. But Momby's pretty uh, confident as well. She's like, well, they won't recognize you because you won't look like yourself. And that's when she uses her serpent's plume to turn Ozma into a boy. How did you think of Shirley Temple's portrayal as Tip? It was actually done pretty well, but, you know, still... You can't really take the idea that, hey, that's a girl playing that role. I think Shelley did a very
1: good job as Tip. Sometimes better than Ozma herself. Like, as Tip, Shelley has a blonde wig and green clothes, like a jacket. But, yeah, at times I don't think she's quite there as a boy. Like, just the way she runs or acts sometimes or talks. But it's a boy enough, I suppose.
0: It works if you're just deciding to take the science home, which, you know, you should. And Nicky Dick's not quite
1: pleased that Ozma's a boy, you know, so he convinces Momby to change him into a
0: statue. After all, changing a boy to a statue, is that too hard? If I'm going to be changing
1: Ozma, I might as well get some good out of it.
0: Yeah, they actually did a really good thing here by having uh, Nicky Dick have a strong character and having uh, Momby play off of him very well that is definitely one touch that's enjoyable about this you know they have chemistry with each other now then it goes to tip putting the finishing touches on jack pumpkinhead who's played by sterling holloway who just about everyone knows as the original voice of disney's winnie the pooh as well
1: as the tisha cat from walt disney's Alice in wonderland the Frog Footman in Paramount's Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, he's had uh, some
0: other roles as well, but I think Winnie the Pooh is most known for. It. Here, Jack Pumpkinhead has a pink shirt and
1: with puffy sleeves, an orange vest with big white polka dots, black and white checked pants, and his pumpkin head has square teeth, is a bit square shaped, And has a more Halloween-like
0: look. Some of the designs in this actually make me think, wait a minute, was Dick Martin involved in this production at all? Because some of the designs look a lot like his
1: work. But I thought that Jack's costume looked a little bit more Mad Hatter-like from the original Wonderland book, with the sleeves and the pants. And he also has gloves, too, not stick hands.
0: They were kind of limited by the costume they could make.
1: And by limited, we can see sterling's face inside the pumpkin head which is a little, little bit disconnecting at times i try to watch jack with um a bit of bluey vision so that i see more of the pumpkin than sterling's face but it's a little bit distracting
0: yeah like i said they were limited but you know he at least gives a very pleasing performance as jack so you know you decide okay we'll hand this off we give a good performance so we're just going to ignore that we can see that you're actually just a guy wearing a pumpkin mask. And
1: since Jack Pumpkin has just been brought to life, he does give off the naivety so well, too. Like, Jack is simple, he's innocent, and Sterling really does bring that across.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably also the same type of qualities as Walt Disney was looking for in Wade the Pooh that made him cast him. Now, of course, uh, this story starts going a lot like the book here in that mom comes along and brings Jack to life. And then starts making a liquid of petrification to turn-tip into a marble statue. But with the power of life, we don't get the
1: we-off, tee-off, pee-off chanting words. It's something a bit more obscure, where Mombi would go, He-he-stickum, ha ha stogum, and ho-ho-something or other. It's a bit hard to really tell. And the DVD doesn't have any subtitles. It's really hard to hear or know what they say.
0: There's a couple extra touches they do in Mombi's house where a Tip gets put into a little cell. And she makes uh, Jack a stir, which gives Sterling Holloway a few little fun lines.
1: Have you heard? I've got a job.
0: no, no, no! was like, Ugh, I don't think I care to work for you. Would you care to be a pie, dearie? And then she makes him stir it and he's like, oh, father, have you heard? I've got a job! There's another
1: great touch, too. When Momby's looking through her book of spells and potions, she comes across a little lizard that she strokes, but she pretends it, it bites and she smacks it. But more importantly is this big candle above her cauldron, which burns and wilts, and which shows the passage of time, which is especially good for the TV show, so that the shorter the candle it is, the more time has passed rather than, say, a clock.
0: When Molly falls asleep, Tip manages to instruct Jack how to get the key and them loose. (laughs) It is a funny scene where Tip
1: tries to get Jack to set him free, because Jack doesn't know how to open a door, and he misinterprets A simple turn instruction, not knowing he meant to turn the key.
0: Turn! And then Jack does a little spin around there. You don't turn. You turn the key. They, of course, take the powder of life, and they head out, and they meet uh, a lightning bug repairman. When I watched it the first time, I
1: thought that his acting and his lines weren't quite in sync. Like, he says, there, I'm done. But he's still working on it. And when I watched it most recently, I thought, huh. He looks a bit like John Neal's Wizard, only with bright yellow hair instead of black.
0: Hmm. The Lightning Bug Repairman is actually a fun little Ozzy character who, you know, feels like he should have been in an Oz book. Uh, he increases the wattage and tells them about Ozma and how good she is, and directs them to the way to the Emerald City, which makes for a nice little plot point because it explains how they knew about the Emerald City. So even though they aren't reorganizing the plot, they're at least making sure it makes sense, which is something I really appreciate. Plots have to make sense. Please. If you're not going to give me a plot that makes sense, I'm not
1: interested. Now, Nick dick has just gotten his army together and he's visited Mombi and they just found out the prisoners have escaped and Mombi uses like a seashell to sort of spy on them as a means of what they're saying. Which is different and fun.
0: Which it's a uh, nice little touch and it helps put the plot in motion. So yeah, I like think they- Like I said, even though they did mess around with the plot, they managed to reimagine it very well, so it works very fluidly. You know, it's not a straight adaptation, but it's a very solid...
1: Yes, it's because when you're adapting the Marvelous Land of Oz book, it can't be too straight. Otherwise, you'd mostly have a lot of time where people just stand and talk. And you have to combine a few little elements of the book to help the pace moving forward. Otherwise, it could just be a bit boring. Because Elven Bomb wrote the book more to be a stage musical than an actual second book. Jack and Tip realize that Nicky, and Mombi are after them with an army of horses. Jack brings to point the horses, and uh, Tip doesn't believe that the wooden saw horse is any good.
0: And then Jack, uh, of course, brings out the bombing point. Well, hey, why are you saying this wooden saw horse can't live when I'm alive? I made out of wood. So, of course, since Tip has the... Powder of life, he uses it to bring the sawhorse to life so they can get to the Emerald City first. And so they both ride the sawhorse, but Tip falls off, and then we cut for a commercial break.
1: And the sawhorse scene is projected in front of a green screen. Um, concerning what Tip wears, it's more of a blue screen, so it's obvious, you can tell, but you can still enjoy watching it.
0: Yeah, they at least get the idea across that they're running very fast.
1: The saw legs don't move, but like you said, this is limited, so the only thing of the saw that actually moves is his mouth. Yeah, and maybe the ear, but definitely the
0: mouth. And uh, the voice they got doing him was very well done.
1: And very well known too, Mel Blanc.
0: And he does it with this kind of a low, raspy voice, like in those Bugs Bunny cartoons when there was like that uh, gangster character would oh, be yes. like, "We're hiding out in this country." <laughs> That's the type of voice he does here. And for me, because the Star Wars is, he's a helpful character, but on the other hand, he's a little rough around the edges. Uh, I think that voice actually works for his character pretty well. Not how I
1: imagine it, but I can accept it for here.
0: They get to the Emerald city where they meet the soldier with the... The green beard. Yeah. We'll say Beard and Cell Whiskers because they're not that long.
1: No. Since there is no ginger, Tip does arrive at the Emerald City um, in a few minutes. But we do get to see Julia Jam here, like the green maid, who is helping the Scarecrow getting stuffed with some green hay with clover. And she does the notorious interpretation scene from the book.
0: It's cut down very much because you got to remember this is just a one-hour special, so... It's still there, but it's just very cut down.
1: (laughs) she has very puffy sleeves long blonde hair and she's also sweet she's nice she's fun
0: i had no problems with her take on Julia. it was like hey she's there yeah. But uh, when Tip tells uh, the Scarecrow about uh, the army there, the Scarecrow quickly switches from straw to being stuffed with all the money, so that way they, he, Nicky Dick won't steal it. And they give a few good puns, like right after he's stuffed with money, he says one more note and he threw a pinch of inflation. We don't see a lot of the Emerald City, we
1: don't see big rooms, we just sort of see the walls in the background, but it is green. There are these rectangular or square shapes with circled edges that are meant to represent represent the gems and the emeralds um
0: they managed to make the Emerald city very green because that's pretty much how it's like Emerald city it's green i was very glad they made it look green and tried to do what they could but it doesn't look quite as convincing as some other takes but on the other hand it's at least sells it enough so Yeah, I liked it, but if I had to pick one, it wouldn't be my
1: favorite one to pick. Then the Emerald City is surrounded by Nick Dick and his army, and since they can't get out, they manage to compose a letter to the Tin Woodman, which they send by a dove. And the Tin Woodman is actually glad to receive the letter, because his shoulder is squeaky, and the winky doctor doesn't seem to be able to fix it. Gil Lam plays the Tin Woodman. He's not as pleased with a rusty shoulder, but he's happy to get the letter, which hopefully fixes his shoulder, but I didn't quite like the don- winky doctor here. Because- maybe because he didn't know what he was doing, or the Tin Woodman was a bit upset, but I didn't quite like the winky doctor scene.
0: Bombs Tin Woman, he would know that, hey, I don't need a doctor, I need a tinsmith to look at this. But on the other hand, they do put in some fun dialogue, like, a change of climate should do you good. Oh, you're always saying that.
1: So the Tin Woodman gets the letter from the Scarecrow, and he goes off with his trusty axe to the Emerald City.
0: When the Tin Woman gets to the Emerald City, he enters pretty easily and says that everyone's gone. But then, uh, Nicky Di- was it Nicky Dick or Mombi, who pops up? His axe
1: disappears, is lifted off by wire, and then a faint image of Nicky Dick appears. You can see that.
0: Yeah. Um, a faint Nicky image of Nicky Dick appears and reveals that Mombi made the attacking army invisible, so they wouldn't be seen. It was just a trap to lure them here. Then they decide to make the gump so they can get away to Glinda's. So, you know, you see here that they actually just had them send a letter to the Tin Woman instead of them actually going to the Tin Woodman. And this also cuts out the Woggle Bug, who, let's face it, he didn't do too much in the book anyway, so it's not like it's gonna stuff without him. And
1: the the field mice is also gone too, but since we don't see Ginger and her female army I guess the mice would have to go because men wouldn't really be scared of mice. Although, <laughs> that would be
0: funny. That would be funny, though. That would be a fun little touch if they had uh, the, uh, Nicky Dick's army running away from mice. But they went for something else. Mm-hmm. Something a
1: bit more practical and plot-moving. Yeah. They built the gump on the
0: one roof of the Emerald City that's flat. The gump is voiced by Maurice Stalamore.
1: I am alive. I just don't make a big deal about it.
0: Yeah, he takes a little while to come alive, and then he carries everyone to uh, the South Country. Well,
1: and... we don't see the soul horse in the gump, though, which is a bit... Why don't? Why didn't they include the soul horse in the gump?
0: I think it would have been too difficult from the show, so... doesn't really explain where he's gone, so the soul horse kind of disappears conveniently. <laughs> Sorry, that's what happened.
1: He sort of gave the Geku... Escape... idea by making the flying escape but yeah we don't see him again for a little while. They fly away and Monbi tries to use some magic tricks to stop them. Again the gump is uh, set against a blue screen backdrop which isn't properly executed but they manage to do a good enough job that you can suspend disbelief. (laughs) Monbi's magic tricks include turning the gump upside down but luckily their friends have some invisible seat belts if you can accept that. And Niggadig actually wants to pluck the Gump's wings, but Mombi says that wouldn't work.
0: So what Mombi decides to do instead is send them all into a volcano. But uh, Glinda manages to save the day by having them transported to her
1: palace. And here we have Glinda played by Frances Bergen. She again takes on Glinda's pink dress, but she doesn't have a hair show, and it's more like a sort of... um, How would you describe that thing that covers the hair?
0: Some type of veil, except it's around her face instead of actually on it. Looks like something a nun
1: wears. But it's all pink, she has a crown. It is a shame that they go for the Billy Burke look, but they managed to change it. Like they give her puffy sleeves, um, a not so glittery star shaped crown, and Frances sounds much more of how Glinda should actually sound. She is a bit older,
0: but she sounds much more queen
1: like than didn't, didn't he lie.
0: Yeah, they go for a Billy Burke reminiscent look for Glinda, but the Glinda here is almost certainly bombs. Well, very much based on, her, on bombs, at least. She looks a
1: little bit chubby, maybe, but that's not too much of a problem. Do you think that when Glinda saves the friends from the volcano, it's a bit of a X machina or not?
0: I guess you could say it is, but on the other hand, what else are they supposed to do? Just have the friends get killed or certainly. have the... I guess it was kind of a way to move the plot forward a little bit quicker.
1: It does convey how Glinda's keeping an eye on Oz. And as she says, Monbi does not rule the land of the quadlings. I do. So since she's aware the friends were tending to make their way to her, it's the least Glinda can do, like help them.
0: They quickly get to the Emerald City and with Glinda's army, who's very unconventional.
1: We have a little boy here. Who's in a little soldier costume? He gets out his toy soldiers, who, at, in one shot, you can see is laid out on the green platform. And when he says, at Glinda's command, the word is Oz, the toy army becomes an actual army of men soldiers, which puts Mombi and definitely Nikidik at an uneasy position.
0: Glinda's army is quickly fighting off Nikidik's and they quickly have the past surrounded. Nikidik thinks he's going to have to surrender, but the Mombi convinces him to turn her. Over to uh, to Glenda.
1: At first, Nickadick does say, but but Mombi's my friend, my companion, my oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. It just shows how untrustworthy bad people can be in Oz. I mean, yeah. they would rely on each other to get something done, but they stab each other in the backs. Not literally, of course.
0: That's a very Ozzy touch there, because in Oz, you know, good people work together and they will all enjoy their success together. But when bad people work together, they they start to think about how they can take all the success for themselves. It's a very very Aussie touch there.
1: And we actually do see the tops of the Emerald City here on some scenes we should say. And then Mombi is brought to Glinda, and she's still very confident that things will go her way.
0: Mombi doesn't mess around and quickly says that Tip is Ozma. And they believe him, and uh, then Mombi pretends that she's about to restore Tip to Ozma, but what she does is transport him, uh, him and herself into the Emerald City. She and Nickadene start playing ways to get rid of Tip forever, while uh, Glinda busily looks for a uh, way to put everything right. Yeah, there's a very nice little scene that comes up here where uh, Jack thinks that they won't be able to save Tip and you know his father. And, you know, a seed fell on my eye. I must be crying for father. Aw.
1: Mm, it is a good touch to his character that he is very devoted and loving to his father, even though his parent isn't what he appears without knowing himself. But Jack's a lovable, a good character. He's one of our favorites.
0: Yeah, he, they did a really good job of bringing Jack's character to life here, even though the costume wasn't the greatest ever. How, uh... Mombi decides to get rid of Tip is to have him shrink into nothing, which gets a little bit of uh, fun dialogue there. Does it hurt to shrink, Nicky Dick asks, and Moby says, I don't know, but it'll be fun to watch. You can see, however, that the effect is being done by having Shirley Temple on a green screen, and... Or blue somebody...
1: screen. Yeah. Or blue screen, since she's wearing green, and
0: well, likewise, if she yeah.
1: against a green screen, at her Okay, let's say
0: chroma keyed out... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And they make the image uh, shrink so it looks like, sh- like the character is shrinking. However, uh, Glinda sweeps in just in time and removes all of Mombi's magic. Which, which was- restores Ozma to the throne. Literally, because she's sitting on the throne. <laughs> and Osmer. everything gets wrapped up. Uh, Mombi doesn't have her magic anymore, but. She still says she might be a threat later. Like, oh, you'll see, dude.
1: Mom B makes a little blooper there where she points and begins to say her line, although Shirley hasn't finished her lines yet.
0: And Nikidik is punished by being made to do one good deed a day. Who isn't fair?
1: Known as Nikidik the Good. So maybe Graves will, his butter will help him as well. We don't really hear what Ozma has planned for him, but it's probably going to be the same thing as Nikidik. And everyone gets their rewards. Explain. uh, Glinda is made Ozma's advisor, the Tin Woodman the warrior, Scarecrow the treasurer, and the sawhorse the steed, and the gump has his head put back in the palace on the wall.
0: And the very last shot of the story is the gump's head on the wall saying, That's the end, chaps! The
1: end credits mention Mel Blink voicing the sawhorse and the book, which is odd. I mean, there wasn't a talking book in this version.
0: No, there wasn't, so why on earth are they talking about? Uh, Shirley Temple closes the program with a little exit and with a little teaser for the next week's show. And, you know, once again, she proves a very charming host. Mm-hmm. And she's also in full
1: uh, Ozma costume. And it's a pretty good costume, like, it's green with a bit of white it has little sparkles which didn't quite come across well on camera in those 60s days where the brightest of sparkles became black but it's a nice gown not entirely what oz would have been described as by Elphaba himself but it's okay for the 60s a
0: few little elements were uh, where you can see the mess up we mentioned uh, how you can clearly tell when it's uh when a special effect is being done through chroma key and when uh Mambi misses up on her cue there i there's also the question of why on earth is ozma wearing her crown to bed and how does it stay on her head the whole time
1: and not to mention her very elaborate nightgown but this A few more pressing matters than that, like when Ozma walks into Mombi's hut, the door closes behind her and locks by itself, but um, through the crack of the door you can tell a crew member just locking the door from the outside. And when the Scarecrow has written the letter to the Tin Woodman, you can see Ben Blue just putting his hand for a second in short, but it's only his right hand that's in the Scarecrow costume, and his left hand isn't, so you see that for a second. And then towards the end, when we see that last short of Tiny Tip almost completely shrunk away, you can see a camera on the left, on the right side of the
0: screen. So there's a few little, little mess-ups here, but you know, the performers managed to do a really good job. The story makes sense. It's it's not a straight adaptation, but it's a very solid adaptation. With the exception of the continuity between
1: Scarecrow and Ozma being on the throne.
0: Yeah. It's not clear how this would fit if you put it as a sequel to any version of The Wizard of Oz. You know, just don't try to think about that. Otherwise, it's going to ruin it for yourself.
1: Yes, it is good to take it on your own. And when I watched it for myself for the first time, it was a bit different than how I expected it. Um, It is a TV show, but it's not the type where you would hear the audience clap and applaud. And it's not a musical either, as I thought. Yeah. It's colorful. It's fun, but no singing Although we do get one little scene when the gump has flown away where the music sounds a little tiny bit like We're off to see the wizard.
0: Yeah, they do have a very little triumphal beat there. And the music here actually is a lot of fun and helps sell it. And you know, this really does feel very Aussie, the way it's written and everything. Julia
1: Jam is played by Marie Lynn. Nicodeg's Cunnel is played by Charles Boaz. and W.M. Keane plays the Royal Army One Soldier of Oz. Or on BnBs, as we book fans know him. And the court doctor, like the Tin Woodman's winky, is played by Lou Merrill. Quite a few funny named actors, though, some names of which are hard to say.
0: They got quite a bit of a diverse last name cast here, but all of them do really good jobs and they help tell the story very well. I don't really complain about any of their acting at all. No, I thought they all did great. They did. It's just too bad we
1: don't know who played the little boy soldier in Glinda's army, or the other army, of so Nicky Dick or Glinda. Shirley Temple's The Land of Oz is available on DVD. It's only 15 minutes long, so it has another Shirley Temple episode alongside it.
0: The yeah. Reluctant
1: Dragon, which is a musical. And that's pretty fun. And which does not star Shirley Temple as the dragon or title character herself. As I thought.
0: I mean, she's in it, though.
1: Yes. I mean, I thought, judging from the front cover, I thought Shirley Temple played the dragon, just because he was purple and pink. But, no, that wasn't the case.
0: Um, When this came out, parents were disturbed by the whole idea of, of Ozma being transformed into a boy. They were pretty kind of disturbed about that. And the weird thing was, was that, you know, this story had been around for almost 60 years by that time in the book, so... What are they complaining about this now for? Some things are much more apparent in a screening
1: than, say, in a book.
0: Anyways, they did a great job, and I really liked it. It's one of my, it's a favorite one to do. It's a good one.
1: It's faithful, but it makes a few changes of, all of its own. It moves the plot, and yes,
0: it has some good character development. It stays true to Oz, even though it's not the, a straightforward adaptation. Definitely check this one out. Don't pass it up. I think the next one on the list is one that we might not be looking forward to quite so much. It's another adaptation of The Marvel Stand of Oz. Uh, Sam, are you going to be around for that one? Mm. Sam? What is, it? what is it? It looks like it's another adaptation of The Marvel Stand of Oz that was also low budget. You going to be around for this one, Sam?
1: How about you actually describe it, and then I'll make my answers.
0: All right, yeah, there's like a purple cow. There's a little, little tips tucking your shirt in, and Ginger's played by this weird-looking teenage girl. Uh, you're gonna be around for that one, Sam. You're referring to Mohorn's
1: 1969, Wonderful Land of Oz children's martini, aren't you?
0: Yeah, so we're gonna be around. You're gonna be around for that one, right?
1: Do we have to?
0: Yeah, kind Last of. Time? Come well, we'll on, you can at least say what you don't like about
1: it. All right. Uh, all
0: right, well, we'll see you in the next one, guys. And hey, have a hope you're having a good May. Till next time. Bye. Bye.